This Slate Spoiler Special is brought to you by Casper, the risk-free online retailer of premium mattresses. Try sleeping on an American-made Casper mattress for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. Right now, get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com spoiler and using the promo code SPOILER. Hi, I'm Mike Pesca from the Slate Podcast, The Gist. If you're a fan of our spoiler specials about Serial, the investigative podcast from This American Life, you're probably hungry for more. After all, you're listening to a podcast about another podcast. On my podcast, The Gist, I talked to Sarah Koenig of the Serial Podcast, and now I want to play that on this podcast. So if you're scoring at home, this podcast about a podcast is playing content from a third podcast where I talk to the creator of the first podcast. But what you're going to hear is a much longer version of what we aired on The Gist, because on The Gist, we edit interviews. In this case, we were thinking maybe not everyone listening has heard or even heard of Serial. But for some reason, I think that everyone listening to the Slate Serial spoiler special will have heard about Serial. I recorded the interview with Sarah between episodes four and five. So that was before What's the Deal with Jay? That was before... Hey, wait, the Innocence Project, you're not going to believe this. They think the guy could be innocent. That was before the Nisha call. And I want to say three things before we air the interview. One, Slate has a lot of content about Serial. There's a brand new piece from Amanda Hess about the ethics of Serial. There's Dahlia Lithwick, host of our legal podcast, Amicus, looking at the Justin Wolf case that was mentioned on Serial. There's Hannah Rosen weighing in on the storytelling aspects of Serial. Plus, you could read about Leakin Park they call Lincoln Park in Baltimore, where uh, Heyman Lee's body was found. And much more. Serial has its own forward slash. It's slate.com slash serial. There it is. Second thing I want to say is this. I love the Slate spoiler special, but as a radio maker, I sympathize with the makers of Serial. I think it was either David Chase from The Sopranos or David Simon from The Wire, but one of these TV show creators at one point just took aim at recap culture where, you know, you pick apart episode by episode instead of stepping back and digesting the whole thing. I mean, listeners or viewers or consumers can consume however they want to. So I'm not saying the Slate spoiler special is a force for ill, but just take it for what it is. I do that. I try to avoid despairing if I think a particular episode isn't totally satisfying in every possible way. you got to allow for some episodes to be resetters, to be palate cleansers, to even be sidebars. And the third thing I'll say is I'll make a prediction. Here, I'm going to play this interview I'm going to play with Sarah. In the intro, I say, please don't let Serial wind up being a contemplation on the nature of truth. I want it to end with, and that's why there should be a new trial. Or I want it to end with, it pains me to say this, but the best evidence seems very strongly to point to Adnan. That's what I want. Don't know if I'm going to get it. Let's say I don't get it. Let's say none of us get it. Then around 8 a.m. on the Thursday morning that the last episode of Serial Posts, the internet is going to rise up in a collective wail where the outcry over the Yellow King or the Journey Song in the Diner will seem like a whisper. Now, I am no fan of fetishizing the ambiguous. I like it when Hercule Perrault actually names the murderer. We need that. But there's a big fiction versus nonfiction divide. What often makes a thriller so thrilling is authorial intended questions of, oh my God, how's the protagonist going to get out of this? Like when people say that Lost failed to deliver in its final episode... I think that's a fair criticism, right? I mean, so much of why we liked that show was that it was a bit of a tease game, and maybe the viewer got played. Maybe they were exploited as twists were introduced that seemed unable to be resolved, and guess what? They weren't able to be resolved. A show like True Detective, I don't think ever actually promised that tonally. 
But then there's serial. And while serial's dramatic, it's not a drama. We can't punish the authors for presenting a conclusion that isn't some unforeseen twist or a beautiful bow on the story. And that is true even if we have so savored the breadcrumbs they've placed along the way. Unlike an invented drama, that's life. Enjoy this interview. Serial is the first true spinoff of This American Life. If you're not listening already, it's gripping. The true story of a murder that took place in 1999. The victim was a high school girl named Heyman Lee. The convicted, still in jail, is Adnan Syed, her high school boyfriend. Sarah Koenig, along with her co-executive producer Julie Snyder, is investigating every aspect of this case and parceling it out to us, the audience, over the course of a season. A lot seems problematic in Adnan as a suspect, but as Serial has showed in its four episodes thus far, things that seem confusing sometimes have specific explanations, and things that seem simple often are vexing. That said, as I listen to Serial, I have this thought in my head. Don't let this wind up being a contemplation on the nature of truth. Don't let this wind up being a contemplation on the nature of truth, because for all the interesting, chin-scratching, epistemological questions raised, at its core, Serial is a whodunit, and host Sarah Koenig promises that when it concludes, we, the audience, will be presented with something resembling a conclusion. Hello, Sarah. Hello. So we're on episode four. How many are you going to do? I, we're still plotting that out. Around a dozen. Could Mm -hmm. go a little longer. And where are you now? How many do you have yet in the can? (laughs) We're making major changes to episode five right now. Okay. Yeah, that's how seat of the pants this is at the moment. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people. Well, we've been getting all these requests of like, why are you? Why can't we binge? Like, just release the whole thing. What's your problem? And I'm like, oh my god, if you guys only knew. Yeah. How like I am four days behind you right now. We are not orange is the new black here. We people. are not. Yeah. No. Is all the reporting done? No. Wow. It's mostly done, but there are definitely some things that are really just loose ends kinds of things. Right. And then there are other things that are kind of like fairly medium to big size questions that we're still hoping we will be able to get to the bottom of. Do you know how it's going to end? I mean, can you tell me with 80%, look, let's say I'm going to get hit by a bus and I uh, or I have a day to live and I'm like, look, I definitely won't tell anyone. Just kind of tell me how it ends. Would you be able to kind of tell me how it ends? kind of tell you i think i could tell you with 64 per 66 percent certainty how it's going to end uh 70 yeah meaning 60 like 70 percent certainty how it's going to end how the series is going to end maybe not put a button on this case in terms of did it didn't do it free um yeah i mean i might even back up from 70 to like back to 66 i mean we um I mean, yeah, I don't, and I don't mean to be like coy about this at all. It's just we are are, like in the thick of certain things, and like depending on which way they go, it's really going to affect how we end it. Yeah, no, like where we go. I know you're not being coy. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got four days left for episode five. That's not being coy. Yeah, that that means you have many, you have many choices to make. You have many storytelling choices to make. But of the choices you have to make, how many of them are dependent on just big facts that you have not nailed down yet? 
it's it's like it's like that game of like pick an ending. Do you know what I mean? Like if if you go mm-hmm. left here, you know, or like like if Joe gets in the car, then what happens? If Joe doesn't get in the car, then what happens? You know, and it's like so, so we're sort of building it in that way where it's like, well, if we find out this then we're going to go here and we've got that plotted out. But if what if we find out this other thing? Well, then we're going to go that way and plot it and plot it that way. So do you know what I mean? Like we we know the arc. It's just like we don't know which direction the arc turns exactly. So you were a reporter at The Sun for a couple Mm -hmm. of years and you've been a radio journalist for a while. But how much of this genre, maybe it's called true crime, maybe it's called uh, exonerating or the prisons. How much of this kind of thing have you done? Not a ton you know, before the sun, I was a reporter at the Concord Monitor in in New Hampshire, and I covered crime at both those newspapers. But I certainly don't consider myself, you know, a crime reporter. I would never have, if anything, I was a political reporter. So, so in a way, it's new. I mean, I did a story last year for This American Life that it was called Dr. Gilmer and Mr. Hyde. And it was about this doctor who, um, this very beloved doctor in, in North Carolina, in the Asheville area, who sort of like just up and killed his father one day and sort of brutalized his body and stuff like that. And the the doctor who would come in to take his place, who happened to have the same name as the, as the murderer, I've kind of got in touch with him. And and so we kind of reported this story almost together because he was just like, I don't understand. I don't understand how this could have happened. I don't understand how this could have happened. And so we went back and looked and it turned out like we found out something new about it, which is like, this is a spoiler here, but the guy had Huntington's disease and nobody knew it. And so he had started to act really sort of erratically. Anyway, all this is to say that feels like the closest thing I've done to this, where it's just like, take a case that's done and just like, just try to figure out like, well, wait, what went on here? What what don't we know? Because it feels like there's something we don't know. Right. But in that case, in a lot of the political reporting and in, in times when you've done long stories that require deep dives, I would imagine that the stakes might not have been as high as they are here, not just in the length of program, but what you're dealing with. Uh, life and death, literally, the accused, possible guilt, possible innocence. I mean, there's a lot on your shoulders here. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, I don't. I I don't feel that life and death is on my shoulders. I feel like, you know, this girl was killed 15 years ago, and that's a horror that's not going to change no matter what I do. Um, so so setting that as I don't know if that's what you mean. I mean, f- for a non, um, I mean the stakes of getting this wrong. I would imagine they're higher than any. If I get I've it wrong. Done. Yeah. You mean if I get if it wrong? If you get it wrong, if you mischaracterize something, if you point a finger, that turns out not to be the case. Even if your reasons are great, mm-hmm. that has higher stakes probably than anything you've ever done. Mm-hmm. Do you think? I'm trying to think. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, sure. Now I feel great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Turns out you're seven days behind episode five Yeah. I have a bath I need to take now. Um, no, I, um, yeah, that doesn't make me feel so good. But, you know, I guess, I guess, um, I, I think that I don't feel crushed by that yeah. um, in terms of like the level of anxiety, just because, again, I, I'm, I, 
and I don't say this in a way that's like tooting my own horn or whatever. I just say it because out of necessity, we're having to be so careful for this reason that I feel like we really are being very careful and very responsible in our reporting. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so I just, I'm not, I don't feel so scared. Right. But then maybe I should feel more scared. Well, the other side of that is I know how to be extremely careful. You know, I was raised in an institution NPR, which would much rather not make a mistake than say something bold. You also have to say something. I mean, you also, this is not going to be, do I, well, I'm saying this is not going (laughs) to be satisfying if after all this, it's just extremely murky and we're left with more questions than when we started. I don't think maybe you could pull that off. I don't know. I think that with this, I've not seen it done in podcast form. I've not seen it done with this American lifestyle, but so many types of these uh, reports, you know, if what you leave is just ambiguity, I know that's very dissatisfying on the part of the people who've been with you for 12 weeks. I agree. Yeah, I agree. But, but, but I, but I don't think, um, I, I'd rather disappoint many, oh, many yeah. people than than like make make a, some conclusion just because I feel like I gotta make a conclusion so it's a satisfying story. I mean, I'm not gonna do that. Absolutely. So, so you're stuck. You know, we'll see. Yes, I I hope that that that's not where I lead all of my listeners. But I, again, I don't, I don't know. And now I want to tell you about Casper, online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price of the other guys. The mattress industry, it has forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups. It is true. They speak about the middleman everywhere, but the mattress industry is crazy. We do all these things all day. We sit on a couch. We walk in our shoes. We comb our hair. And how often does someone tell you, yeah, you need a guy to tell you what kind of comb to use or what kind of shoe to use? But when it comes to a mattress, oh my God, heaven forbid you buy a mattress without some guy asking you to lie down and put your feet up on that special runner they have so the mattress doesn't touch anyone's shoes. It's crazy. Casper cuts through that and they have one big idea. And the big idea is quality mattress. All right. So what they do is they marry resilience with comfort. It's one of a kind. It's a hybrid mattress. It combines premium latex foam with memory foam. And buying it's extremely easy. You could try it risk-free, free delivery, free returns within 100 days. Who offers that? Casper, an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. $950 for a king-size mattress. Compare that to the rest of the industry. Just the right sink, just the right bounce. It's made in America. So get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash spoiler and using the promo code SPOILER. Have you seen the documentary Capturing the Freedmans? I have. So what <laughs> I have. Not only have I seen it, but we took my daughter to it when she was a newborn. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> that's and, and then afterward, I was like, fine. oh, yes. that seems bad. That seems like a already a bad choice as a parent. 
there, that was a, I thought that documentary had many uh, merits to it. There was one thing, and I've seen this in a couple other cases, but I thought that was maybe something you've seen. There was one aspect to it where the filmmakers parceled out information sort of to maximize the uh, impact on the audience to give a, <gasps> and that's what we do for storytellers. But actually, if you went back and figured out like when investigators knew this information, it was maybe dishonest is uh, too strong a word, but the timeline we were presented as moviegoers was not the timeline where they knew information. And so, you mm-hmm. know, you deal with this all the time. When do you tell the audience? How, you know, have you come to grapple with that? Because I'm sure there are a couple of shocks things that you could tell us in episode whatever eight or nine that in the course of the investigation might have already been known probably i think i can answer it better in terms of my own investigation like are there things that i already know that i'm not i'm not telling you in episode one or episode two well i would imagine they are but the stuff that you know you're gonna say in episode nine or ten might that undermine the impact of some of the stuff that we're seeing in episode four or five and i guess the follow-up is does that even matter um it might yeah yeah i think yes i think it might yeah i think it might and i don't i i don't think it matters i mean I, i think that i'm being i'm being pretty faithful honestly to laying it out the way I'm learning it. I mean, with some license, of course, because a lot of stuff, it's just like, it's not going to make sense. Like if I tell you it now, it's just not going to stay with you because you don't even know why it's important. So it's like, obviously you have to build it so that like, I need to front load you with a bunch of information, right? So you like understand the case and how it went and how the investigation went and what the cops knew and, and like what they, you know, and then sort of like, go back and say, well, look, so here's we know what we know about this part. And here's what we've learned about this part. And so, so yes, I mean, I think things that seem like, aha, it must be, you know, the rope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you might find out later, like, ah, it doesn't mean anything. Um, and but is that because so, at yeah. the time you were wondering if it was the rope? <laughs> Yeah, okay. that is because then, I'm, then, I'm not like, yeah, yeah. like I'm not I'm planting fake stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm not planting fake stuff yeah. just so that I can debunk it later or right. something like that. Like if it's coming up, it's because it actually is important or at, in that context, I really did think it was important. Before you did this, did you have any opinions about how guilty people should act? Because that's a question that's come up as I listen. Yeah. I don't think that I had any hard and fast uh, thoughts about that, but I think like everyone thinks that they can sort of tell when somebody's lying. Yeah, to a certain degree, you know what I mean. Like we yeah. all think, like, well, I'm a pretty good judge, of, you know. Especially, I maybe not especially, but I think as a reporter, like we talk to so many people, you know, and and the course of our jobs, like. I think about that sometimes like my husband's a professor and it's just like the the circle that he talks to is so much different than like, you know, I'm talking to people all over the country from all different walks of life. Like, and he just doesn't have that. So I just feel like in some ways I do feel like I have a pretty broad sense of, you know, people and, and I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of character. Right. And I think so, you know, people think they can tell and I have interviewed other criminals and I've interviewed other murderers. I've I've interviewed people in prison before. So, you know, I I think I had a baseline. It has definitely been tested, I have to say. It has definitely been tested. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. I had these thoughts not just uh, listening to Serial, but this is pretty much the underpinning of the popularity of Nancy Grace. And it comes up in the movie and the book Gone Girl. Like, he's not acting how a murderer would act or he's not acting how an innocent person would act. But I wonder if any of that is true at all what our assumptions are of how a guilty person, not even the content of it, but as I listen to you talk to Adnan, I'm saying this to myself over and over. Don't you say it at one point? Like, why is he so blasé about this thing that could get him off the hook? Why doesn't he care about this timeline? Whenever we're talking, there's the conversation we're having, and then there's like three other conversations silently happening, right? Which is me saying, is he lying? Is he lying? Is he lying? Is he telling the truth? Is he, what does he think that I think that he's, and he's doing, I think he's probably doing the same thing mm-hmm. of saying, does she believe me? Does she believe me? Does she think I'm lying? Does she think that I think that she thinks I'm lying? You know what I mean? Right. I think that there's, yes, I think that's happening all the time and there's no way around it. One thing that struck me is I'm listening to this and I'm saying uh, Sarah is giving this guy a much more thorough defense or at least vetting critical thought and effort than it seemed like anyone like his lawyer or anyone in the legal system has given him. Who, Adnan? Yeah. Mm. And his lawyer's dead and that was, uh, and um, there was a question whether she gave him adequate representation, but Mm -hmm. have you had that thought? Do you have any explanations or reasons or thoughts on um the the rigor of the uh let's not say defense but the rigor of uh thought that was uh, given to him by the people who had his uh freedom in their hands um i do i I think um again like this is going to come up in an episode so i'm a little loath to sort of get ahead of myself Mm -hmm. but i i feel like um it's not that his defense at trial wasn't it it wasn't that it totally lacked rigor i don't think that that's true i just think the rigor was applied in the wrong places that's what i'll say about that like i just think that that she didn't the thing to me that seems like the thing you absolutely should have focused on that's not where she put her efforts and i i don't know why i think it was a miscalculation probably um, and, and the other thing I'll tell you is, so, so Adnan's, um, appellate attorney, um, is a, a guy named, um, Justin Brown and, and he's, uh, really smart guy and super hardworking and stuff and and cares about this case a lot. Um, and he, he used to be a reporter actually. And he was just like, you're like, you don't understand. You have so much more time and resources than lawyers do to to look at this stuff and and like i guess i sort of knew that but like when he said it i was just like oh my god that's true and i'm like and look at me like i'm not a lawyer you know like i'm just some person like checking this stuff and he's just like the stuff that you're doing the calls you're making the people you're contacting the records you're getting like he's like we don't have time for half of this like a quarter of this what you're doing like we just have to seize on the thing that seems like the most likely road to success and just like just choose you know and like we can't do any of this stuff yeah and so it just was like i was like yeah our legal system is yeah yeah i mean you wish you you know if if only everybody could could have their own personal (laughs) investigator you know spend a year looking into the you know but it's just not it's not feasible right and by the way, 
specifically one thing that has aired, which might be an example of the lawyer making a plausible wrong choice, is um, the girl who said she saw Anon at a specific time in the library. It wasn't thoroughly pursued. But as you documented on the show, the, the judge at least said there are plausible reasons for the lawyer not to have pursued it, even if you, I think, convinced us that it was a road that should have been gone down. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not a judge. I didn't agree with him. Yeah. I mean, I just thought like, what? that's not a strategy. She forgot. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I think she probably forgot. I think she blew it off. I don't know. I don't know. I just wait. Think, who's the she? The lawyer or the the, yeah, lawyer, the lawyer? Yeah. Like yeah. I don't think you know. Basically, so if you, if you're this is going to be more technical than you want, probably. But like, if you're trying to prove ineffective assistance of counsel, you have to show that the mistakes that were made were not strategic. Like the strategic part is kind of a, a buzz, you know, a, a important word. Like that, and, and the standard for that is pretty high. Mm-hmm. And so that's why when the judge denies it, he's saying. You know, I'm concluding that her reasons for not calling Asia, this this girl who'd written these letters to the stand, the, the, she made a strategic choice. I just, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I, th- not calling her to the stand could totally be strategic, but never contacting her. Again, I just, I mean, I said it in the story, like, I just, I just think that's a screw up. I don't think that that's strategic. How can that be strategic? I mean, I just like explain it to me. Like, I don't ha- what. Yeah, unless unless you want to say, you know, she only has so much time, and she really thought that there would be very little chance, or unless the judge. I don't know what the stand. No, yeah. I mean, if you see the list of people that she, I mean, I have her her files, and I see the list of people that she considered calling and that she, you know, had her assistants reach out to and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. This girl's not on the list. Right. And there are a, a bunch of people on the list who could Way more have, peripheral yeah, people peripheral. on the, this list. Yeah. Way more peripheral people that she never calls or never, you know, but yeah. still they're on the list. Yeah. Do you know if any of the uh, people who've been in your story have heard any of the podcasts yet? Yes, I do know that they are hearing them. Is there any um, notable reaction from them? Um. Yes. <laughs> well, might yes. might, might the reaction affect the last podcasts in the series? No. Okay. No. Sarah Koenig is the host, the co-creator and co-executive producer along with Julie Snyder of the podcast serial. Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. That was my interview with Sarah Koenig. If you like that or any of my blather, Please consider subscribing to my podcast, which is called The Gist, the Serial Spoiler Special. We'll be back in full with a new issue of Serial next week. I'm David Plotz. This week on the Slate Political Gab Fest, is Thanksgiving a liberal or conservative holiday? Look for us in the Slate store or on iTunes or at slate.com slash podcasts.